0: This is a special live episode of Remote Control. Recorded in March 2020, the panel of four internal comms leaders answer live audience questions on remote working amidst COVID-19.
1: Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this special edition of Remote Control. Um, We've got a great panel set up for this live Q&A, where I think everyone from internal comms is probably scrabbling for the past few weeks as everyone's suddenly gone to working remotely um I'm really excited to hear some of the questions. I think we're going to get some real good insight from the panelists um so I just want to take this opportunity to point out the question box just below this video feed. If you have any questions make sure you pop them in there and we'll get through to them. We've got about an hour set aside for this Q a. If we don't get through them all then we'll make sure we'll come back to your email um, and pass through some thoughts and advice like that um, so yeah, Please make full use of the the question box just underneath this little video panel. Right, so that's enough from me. I'll start to introduce the panel, um, and they can all say hello. So first up is Emma from the uh, banking software giant Temenos. Uh, I think, Emma, you've probably had a very interesting few weeks as the uh, head of internal comms uh, there at Temenos.
2: Yeah, thanks, Jack. It's certainly been uh, an interesting time to to be working in internal communications, but I'm excited to to share what I've learned so far with everyone.
1: Perfect. Yes, I think uh, yeah, I know we're keen keen to hear what you've what you've got to say from your experience. Uh, next up on the panel, we've got uh, Arvita Patel, um, the original Comms Rebel. I've got here, uh, founder and director of uh, the Comms Rebel uh, Consultancy and also um, board director uh, of the CIPR. Uh, yeah, welcome, Advita, great to have you on.
0: Thanks, Jack, thank you for inviting me on. I'm excited for today and looking forward to getting some interesting questions.
1: Perfect. Um, then We also have Trudy from Lewis Communicates, uh, also on the uh, board director CIPR. Great to have you on board, Trudy. Um, yeah, really excited to hear some of the experiences and advice that you've got to dish out today. Oh, I think you, that's a classic classic era, Trudy. I think you might be on mute. Excuse me, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just proof it's live, it's fine. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah, so I'm. I'm really looking forward to today, hearing the questions and so on. As an independent practitioner, I'm, that you know, some of our challenges are slightly different. Um, we've got some things that we've got to deal with. So, really looking forward to getting into that.
1: Perfect, that's great. Okay, and the final panelist is uh, Katie McCauley, MD uh, AB Commons, the, uh, uh, the Comms, the the Agency. I'm also host of the Internal Commons podcast, which if you haven't listened to. Um, what you're doing, you should do. Uh, and, yeah, great to have you on, Katie. I think we've uh, we had a kind of great discussion on, on uh, the remote control podcast and definitely sure you've got some great uh, advice and uh, thoughts to, to answer some questions with.
4: Thank you very much for inviting me on, Jack. It's great to be here. Yes, it has been a very busy time, but I think that's because, if I'm honest, I think our organisations need us now probably more than ever in uh, in the history of internal comms. So, I'm really fascinated to hear what people are, uh, yeah, what's what's taxing people at the moment and hopefully provide some insight and guidance.
1: Fantastic. Okay, great. Um, well, that's everyone on the panel. Um, then you've got me as the host. I'll be dipping in out with the questions um, from stream Head of Marketing at Stream Go and, yeah, just uh, here to facilitate things, really. So, I thought we'd as I briefly mentioned, I thought we'd um, let the audience get a bit warmed up with their questions. And Emma, I thought just to throw you into the spotlight, we'd uh, kind of start to hear from you about what you've been uh, experiencing uh, as the head of internal comms at, at Temenos and maybe give us a bit of a background as to the setup um, globally at Temenos and, and yeah, how you've reacted and, and some of the uh, thoughts and things you, you've gathered from that.
2: Yeah, sure. I'm um, very happy to share. I think probably like most people that have joined us today, it's been an incredibly stressful um, few weeks, the last two in particular. Um, I think both stressful because the demand to communicate is quite rightly really high at the moment. Um, we need to be communicating. People want to hear information. Um, but of course, that makes our job um Within internal communications, really challenging. Um, I think it's also stressful because, on a personal level, we've all had to make different sacrifices. I'm working from home with a three-year-old as well, so it's yeah, it's it's been an an interesting few weeks. Um, just to share a little bit about how we've approached it at Terminus. Um, So, like you said, Jack, we're a banking software company. We operate globally. We have teams in over 64 offices around the world. And actually, a lot of our employees do work remotely anyway. But our big production teams, um, so the development teams that sit in India are typically office-based. So, I think – Culturally, the biggest shift has been, has been there because they've gone from being 100% in the office to now 99% of that team are working from home. Um, so, that is, is already um, – it's working well, but it's, it will, I think, um, create some additional organizational challenges, mostly from a management perspective because culturally managers aren't used to managing teams remotely there. Um, if I just kind of reflect back on the last few weeks, I think our uh, communications started probably just over a, a month ago when when the crisis really started picking up. But it first started the communications are really just about giving people travel guidance. You know, can you travel here or can't you travel there? Um, and it was actually you know fairly limited and it was also f- pretty regional. Um, so most of the advice was coming out starting in our um, Asia-Pacific teams um, and then teams gradually elsewhere were asking, can I travel? Should I be working from home? And we actually, um, between myself, the business continuity team and HR team, we kind of needed to come up with some more answers that people needed at a global level, not just at a regional level. And I think we weren't quite getting the... I guess, the attention from leadership that we needed at that point. And that really changed, I think, a couple of weekends ago when suddenly the the cases started really picking up in Europe and more and more countries went into lockdown. And I think then suddenly everybody was like, actually, this is not a local travel issue. This is a real business continuity situation. Um, And I'd love to say that we had uh, a great crisis communications plan already set up and raring to go. Um, We didn't. Um, although we do joke within the communications team at Temenos that we, we we actively work on a crisis communication project on a daily basis because the company moves so quickly and there are so many big projects happening simultaneously that we we essentially jump from crisis to crisis all the time. Um, so, from that point of view, I think we were kind of prepared um, to deal with, with this because we're practiced at doing large scale communication initiatives but I don't think any of us were prepared for the magnitude of this both in terms of the impact on people as well as the the impact on the business so um yeah I I I mean I can talk more but I think maybe you've got some other questions that might that might pull pull some of this stuff out as well
1: I just thought that was really interesting. And actually, um, I'm going to jump in with the the first question, very selfish of me. But um, it'd be interesting to hear um, from yourself and and the panel. It was just a point that you mentioned about um, leadership being um, maybe a a little slow to respond for some of the employees um, from their behalf. It'd just be good to kind of get some. Thoughts on I don't know if that's probably quite commonplace at the minute, or has anyone seen some really kind of best in class leadership kind of acting super swiftly? Or yeah, I just thought that was a quite an interesting point that we could have a little bit of a back and forth about.
2: I mean, maybe what I could do before the other panelists jump in, I would say that once the leadership team did realise the significance, they were incredibly quick to to respond. And, you know, now we're Our CEO is chairing a task force on a daily basis. Um, He held a call, uh, a webinar with all staff this week, Um, and we've done. We've really gone from you know we've a really global campaign um, that is fully endorsed throughout the organization. So there, there has been, I think, some excellent things that we've put put in place um, that has been needed. But yeah, I think. I think it took everybody by surprise, right? So, I think it's not probably uncommon for it not to have been a perfect, perfect uh, scenario right from the
4: beginning. I I would completely agree with that, Emma. I think what was happening from my perspective was that it was hovering on the horizon for quite a while. It looked like a travel issue for a lot of people, as you say. And certainly for me, I mean, I've got two hats that I have to wear. One, looking after clients and, the, and, and clients that have got key workers um, and also organisations like the London um, Transport for London that has to keep London moving in this crisis. But also looking after my own people and my own agency, there was a sudden realisation, I think. Um, for me, that was when we closed the office um, a week ago on Monday and um That's when it hit. And that's when I think all the plans and all the thinking became very, very real. And we had to react really quickly to that. And I've seen leaders do the same. It hovered on the horizon. It was one of many things they had to think about. And then all of a sudden, it was a reality and they actually have acted incredibly quickly to put their staff at the centre of this crisis and really communicate in a very frequent way and a rich way which i think is vital throughout the days and weeks to come and um, so i've been actually very impressed by leadership throughout this crisis so far
1: yeah that's that's really interesting to hear how i impacted a kind of a slightly smaller um, uh, organization like, like yourself, Katie. And, um, yeah, Advita and Trude, I don't know if you've kind of got any thoughts from maybe some of the people that you've been, been working with and what's maybe kind of one of the best examples of uh, of some kind of leadership taking the action that um, maybe surprised the employees because it, it was so early. I don't know if there's any examples of that uh, that you two might have.
0: I think um, I completely agree with Katie and Emma. It was for the people I've spoken to, the leaders, I don't think, realized the impact. And rightly so. You know, it was it was played down, not played down is the wrong word, but it wasn't it didn't seem as serious on this side of the world at the time. We knew it was all going on in the Far East and people watching the news and we had had conversations about it with various people. But it, the leaders that I spoke to and definitely weren't too worried because they were, you know, waiting for the guidance from the government and whatnot coming out, and it, it seemed to be downplayed a bit. And then Katie's is right; it was probably about a week ago when Boris Johnson um, made that announcement. I think it, reality hit that this is actually not just, you know, a temporary fit, you know, temporary thing. It's a long-term measure. So a lot of leaders definitely stepped up to the plate at that point And. As Emma and Katie both said, there was daily, I mean, the people I speak to and the clients that I have, there's daily task force uh, leaders that have, have really embraced it, and they're supporting their colleagues to do the best they can at home, acknowledging the fact that even though, you know, they are working they do don't, home, they don't expect that nine to five kind of behavior. And that's some of the best I've seen, really, you know, and, and adapting to that. So I think people forget that when you're working at home and you're looking after young families or elderly parents, you can't afford to do the kind of nine to five that you would have done in an office, you know, you have to be a bit adaptable and people have got flexible hours. So, a lot of the leaders that I have, you know, spoken to have definitely embraced that a bit more and, it, and seen some really good examples of good at home working practices.
3: Yeah, I, I think I, I, I agree <laughs> wholeheartedly with everybody and, um, you know, a couple of things stand out for me. I've seen a few leaders really step up and do some Different things and things that for them would be out of their comfort zone, um, uh, like put, put, putting posts on LinkedIn with with personal pictures just to make themselves look a little bit vulnerable. Um, and I think that's quite powerful from a leadership um, perspective. But also, um, what stands out is that need for for us as internal communication com- communicators to be uh, working very closely and and kind of push ourselves to to connect with the areas that do business continuity and HR. So, Emma mentioned the whole thing of business continuity. A lot of companies don't necessarily have that. Um, I know for Transport for London, um, yeah, I used to work there. We, we had a huge um, plan, plan around that. And we, as communicators, were quite close with that. But credit to all of the internal communicators who have kind of had to also step up um, and move at, at a fast pace uh, um, during this time.
1: Perfect. Great. Thank you. Well, as predicted, the questions are flooding in now. So, um, I'll jump into the the pile of questions. Um, and, yeah, I'll kind of hand over the, the, the range, if you like, to, to you guys. Right. So, the first one, um, we've got some good questions through for when people were signing up. So, I'll, I'll tackle those ones first. Right. Yeah. So... This is from Chris. So, leaving aside the purely financial repercussions of uh, the dreaded C word, uh, who do you think will find it harder to get their message out to remote employees, larger, well established firms, or new startups that have recently expanded and taken on a lot of new staff? Who's going to go for that one? Who's going to jump in?
4: I'll, I'll give you my initial thoughts on this. So, um, just just speaking with a few guests on the podcast over the last couple of weeks, it seems like the ones that are going to have the biggest problems are the one that the ones that don't have established remote working already. So it doesn't matter whether you're KPMG, for example, one of our clients. Or maybe a, a smaller startup where you've, you've got that capability and a certain amount of experience of doing business remotely. So, you maybe you, know, you allow your employees to have one or two days from home. They've got a VPN. You're using um, Teams already, and that's all set up. When I speak to my clients in the public sector that is much more difficult they don't have remote working set up naturally because normally they cannot work from home they're on-site delivering services those are the organizations I think that are going to have the biggest challenge with this Um, so for example another client Royal Mail you've got 150,000 postmen and women out there you know they don't have easy access to technology that's a that's quite an issue to get rich meaningful immediate um, content out to them and messages so for me that's my initial thought about the organizations they're going to they're going to struggle most but my feeling with this is if you don't have the technology or maybe the budget then it's a great excuse to think creatively um, about how you solve that problem
3: yeah I, I saw um where some companies who kind of had teams in the back burner <laughs> not quite turned on yet um, Very quickly, especially the larger organisations, were very quick to um, and had the ability, actually, to to switch those on very quickly. Um, The challenge there probably was obviously communicating with the people to get them to use it, um, get the instructions out on how that works. Um, I think with small organisations, the bigger thing would be things like budget and that kind of agility to get resource, to get your um, remote setups going. but as Katie said, I think it's a real opportunity to be creative and there's a lot of other things that you can do apart from teams uh, that connect your people.
1: Great, okay. Um, yeah, so I feel like there's a lot of um, kind of tech maybe bundled into those, uh, to those quick reactions potentially. Um, I'll go into the next one. So this is from Becky. What tangible things can internal comms teams do or give to line managers to help ensure our teams stay connected when everyone is now working from home and some are not used to concepts like flexible working? Yeah, that's a, that's a meaty question.
0: I would, um, the best thing I've seen where line managers is having a separate channel for them if you can. So I've seen some organizations have a separate team space where line managers can raise any questions or concerns that they've got. I've seen some people have WhatsApp groups if that's allowed in your organization so people can share thoughts and ideas. But in terms of IC, having a really clear guide or you know some sort of um, reference point which line managers can refer to as and when they need to that's you know one of the best things we can do as a team mm-hmm. to support them because we have to remember that line managers are also you know thrown into the deep end here a little bit and especially if your organization isn't used to remote working and they don't really understand the behaviors that will take place in in at home and you still have to keep that you know one-to- ones going and keep it in touch to make sure people's mental health and well-being as well and having that regular check-in and two-way engagement with your line manager uh, and making it clear because there's so much noise out there at the moment i mean i'm sure pretty certain that everyone this call has experienced it the social media is blowing up linkedin messages there's lots of guides lots of toolkits lots of people helping but it can be really overwhelming for for people when they're looking for information so as an ic person in your own organization make sure that you have a safe space these line managers to go to and, and can get the information they need fairly quickly without having to dig through a load of noise and, and issues to help them keep um, working with their teams in a in a in a, in a, a sustainable way because this is definitely um, a marathon and not a sprint. Um,
3: for me, I, I I just keep thinking of um, uh, how as internal communicators we have to kind of almost guide leadership so our leadership teams. Um, you know they're quick to call us in get our communications together and so on but it's also to say to them um how they need to engage with line managers so it's almost walking alongside them and saying look you need to create specific briefs for line managers that's slightly different and more helpful than what you would do for the rest of the organisation, just so that you prepare them a bit more um, as to how they need to, to be talking. And I think there's nothing more greater than actually them seeing leadership uh, lead by example and actually do some of the kind of face-to-face stuff, and then they see how it's done. Because many of them don't feel that confident to communicate, and that you know they're just thrown a brief and said, "We'll communicate." Um, and the assumption is that they can do that and they can't always. So, it's it's really providing that support from the top end as well um, and, and making that suggestion about a channel, like Advita said, you know, uh, um, to have dedicated guidelines for them along the way.
2: And I think if I can add, like, I think partnering with HR is the most important Mm -hmm. thing when it comes to working with line managers because actually they have those relationships with line managers that we don't always have at a communications level and I think that you know line managers need to feel that support as well Um, and I I actually think this is a kind of great opportunity I know at Temenos we, we do work to support our line managers but You know, I think a lot of organizations and we're no different don't do as much as we probably could or should do. And I think that this actually is an opportunity for us to raise our game in how we support line managers because they are playing a crucial role in Mm. looking after the well-being of our employees and a crucial role in ensuring that the productivity within the organization doesn't suffer either.
4: I would totally agree with that, Emma. I mean, I think we've seen from the gatehouse, state of the sector research over the last, I don't know how many years, that we consistently think that line managers are a blocker and a barrier, and they do get a little bit of a bad press. My view is that they are often the pinch point and are a really important audience themselves. And, and, And how much time and effort, as you say, do we put into giving them this safe space to learn and also to share, as well. And you cannot communicate what you don't know. So, again, coming back to that point of leaders making sure that they're paying special attention to line managers and really imparting meaningful advice and guidance that they can share on, as you say, showcasing that kind of behaviour as well is going to be really important. I agree, this is an opportunity for us to step up in a way perhaps we've never done before. So, in some ways, this is come out of a very difficult and challenging circumstances but it is actually an opportunity for ic teams i think to prove their worth particularly to line managers i think
1: fantastic great um we've got another question here and this is from emma a different one i'm assuming uh yeah um quite short to the point but yeah ideal how to keep people engage for a long, prolonged period? <laughs> there's,
4: there's, there's two ways of, of reading that question, which is, I guess, I, I guess she means because this is going to be going on uh, for weeks, months, we don't know. So uh, there's another way of reading it is to say, how would you actually engage people to, with your content for as long as possible? I think the answer is going to be, going back to those traditional old-fashioned planning that we've always done looking at our channels looking at the channel matrix looking at our content and our key messages and thinking right now we bed in for the long haul over this time but we have to use new and more inventive ways of getting our messages and our content out there and crucially and this is the thing you would expect me to bang on about conversation dialogue two-way communication, because one of the key roles we're going to have to do as well is listen to the vibe in our organization, the mood music, if you like. And that's harder because we can't just wander into different sites and offices and have our ear to the ground. So, there's a lot for us to do. I think we go back to the basic principles of brilliant planning, but we just think, okay, we're doing it in a different way with different channels maybe a different tempo, but we're going to need all the things we've ever needed, urgent messages, updates, discussion groups. We're going to need all these things, long-form content that gives the background on the context. All of that, we're just going to have to plan it slightly differently. That would be my thoughts on that.
0: Funnily say- enough, I've just... Uh, oh, sorry,
4: Emma. After you. I was just going to
2: say, I... I... We saw a great example of engagement yesterday. Um, Our learning and development team ran um, some training on how to get the best out of Microsoft Teams, but they actually invited our head of IT to come along and he took the opportunity to share some background on, you know, why we chose Microsoft Teams, how you can use it, how we're using all the different tools in the business, and actually, he shared some really useful insights into the kind of IT strategy that would never have come up had um, had this not happened. And actually, I think there will be ways to engage employees in the kind of progress around this and broader initiatives that are going on um, just because we're having conversations in different ways already to what we were having before. So actually, I think I don't think engagement should suffer. I just think it might it might shift a little bit in terms of how we how we do it or where we're doing it.
0: I completely agree. And I was just I was just saying before that um, I just wrote a blog post about this yesterday, actually, because I was on a couple of other calls where people and internal comms in particular were concerned about morale and about maintaining that over the next, you know, God knows how long, six, 12 weeks. Um, and one of the key things that, you know, has seems to be quite works really well is trying to be a bit creative about how you maintain that um the, the, the kind of stuff that gives people a bit of escapism as well from the daily kind of churn and the noise and stuff that's going on. And I completely agree with what Katie said about keeping those conversation lines flowing. It's really easy to just, you know, people are working at home, and life, you know, life is busy and stuff is going on, but managers, you know, if, if they can do a quick um, call to somebody keeping in touch a video conferencing call on the phones or through Skype or whatever keeping that conversation flowing every other day and I see just making sure that there's no barriers in the way for them to do that you know what is happening you know what's stopping managers doing that and things you know if your organization is if your colleagues in your organization are doing a good at socializing after hours, you know, if they go for a drink afterwards or dinner and they do lots of after work activities, then try and, you know, try and encourage them to continue to do that. I've seen some amazing like pub quizzes on Facebook live. I've seen people do zoom chats, after work drinks. I've seen people sitting in the garden, having their lunch together and having a chat through zoom and just encouraging your colleagues to kind of keep doing that and sharing the stories of that happening as well. Cause I know, you know, the, the, coronavirus is, is dominating our news streams and our own internal comms, but sharing some light, you know, a little bit of lightheartedness about people doing like having team meetings outside in the garden and having a conversation, it will make a massive difference to people and, a, and and get people to think a bit differently about how they may continue that socializing space and keep that morale going for you know for you know for for, for the foreseeable future. Yeah the only
3: the only thing I'd add to that I think that's great. That's great is um how how we also need to um, be careful how much we're committing to. So you might say at the beginning stages of all of this we're kind of overkill with engagement. You know suddenly we're you know voting the box and we're doing all this stuff. But it's it, it and it almost goes back to what Katie was talking about to do with planning. Um, make sure that we don't overpromise a type of engagement that we're going to give at the initial stages that we can't maintain. And so keeping it a little bit simpler. And a bit like Advita said, you know, doing some of those really creative things that get people engaged um, would be better than kind of doing this overkill. We're doing these diff- many programs using all this technology. And then a month later, that's not there anymore. Uh, so so I think it's really important to kind of pace ourselves and to find the tools that and, and the kind of activities that really work for the long haul. And can I just add that? Just don't forget to ask your colleagues,
0: uh, you know, what how they're feeling and what's going on and what they yeah. want. Because it's really easy to sit there assuming that, oh, this is going to be really great and we're going to bring this in and we're going to do this, it's going to be fab. But they may not want it. And if you don't ask them, um you won't know. And I think you don't, you, you haven't got time. And yeah. I can imagine a lot of IC guys out there are doing 12 to 16, 18 hour days already and they don't want to waste your time bringing something in play and then it just doesn't land very well. So just speak to, um, your colleagues and find out what what do they want and how you know how are they feeling and keep doing those regular pulse checks with them and temperature checks because that you know that doesn't go away and even though we are working from home it's even more important to keep doing those things I think.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, that's some really good advice and um, even kind of with, with my friends I've done a, a virtual uh, pub session last Saturday where we uh, jumped on Facebook Messenger and had a. Uh, a video chat between the six of us. I mean, five of them were just talking to me through filters. Um, but, you know. <laughs> uh, right, the question there about asking um, colleagues what they're looking for actually resonates with a question that we've um, that we had through, and it was around, let me find it. Oh, yeah, so has anyone heard of any companies using webcam policies? Should we be asking people to always have them on? Uh, presumably they mean within a... A chat not just permanently but yeah like this one this is quite good being able to see people's um you know see our faces read expressions and and maybe pick up on a few kind of non-verbal uh cues um i just wondering if anyone's heard of that from kind of a a company mandated type uh, uh, situation
4: i don't mind jumping in on this one um I've, over the years, had to do lots of research into uh, social media policies, and now, of course, we're going to have webcam policies. Um, My favorite policy was, I think, published by IBM about sort of 15 years ago, and it was after lots of research and lots of committees and months and months of work. um, The policy was be professional. Um, I think we have to treat people as adults. I would be really uncomfortable laying down a webcam policy I would showcase great behavior so i would have my leaders wherever possible turn their cameras on we know from research in fact i was just reading a research paper from the oxford university this morning the more richer the medium that mirrors face-to-face communication the more powerful it is and you kind of don't need to be an oxford researcher to work that out so i would encourage the use of webcams i think it's interesting how seeing inside people's homes while we're at work is going to change the language, is going to change the type of communication, is going to change the mood in the organisation, potentially for the better. And I'm interested to see how that might, that, that might be a legacy that lasts beyond this crisis. I would, having said all that, I would be very uncomfortable with a policy that mandated you turn them on. There may be very good reasons why someone would want to join a call. And not have their camera on. So that's just my starter for ten as an answer to that one.
3: Yeah, I 100% agree with Katie there. I, I don't think if you enforce it, I think that's that's really unfair um, because, as as you said, Katie, you don't know why somebody's chosen to turn off their camera. Um, there are reasons why, and 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 just general common sense really. I I tend to always turn on my camera. Um, obviously that means rushing around putting on makeup and all the rest of it but um, I, I do that because I, 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 I like face to face some might find it uncomfortable and I think it's to give those people kind of allow them to be themselves is important.
1: Perfect um, so we've had a question here which uh, yeah, I mean, this must be, it was a really relevant topic before the crisis, and, and I guess maybe it's taking a backseat, but it's about mental health. So what can I do to keep a focus on employee mental health? Um, Advita, I know we talked a little bit about that uh, in the warm-ups this call, so maybe you can jump on for this one first of all.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, this is a hot topic and a very, very important topic at that. And I've been talking to lots of communicators and uh, about their own mental health but also about how to make sure that their employees are, are maintaining good well-being and mental health and there's lots of resources out there at the moment and CFPR Health have done some really good uh, has have done a really good toolkit actually which I can share with you Jack that you can send out to the guys who registered to, to this so they've got some top tips and some guidance on there but it would you know it's the it's simple things really so things like for employees in particular about making sure there's somebody who's checking in on them on a regular basis um, and not letting anyone drop through the gaps really so this is why that whole people manager element is really important because they would be your extended team in essence and it's their role in technically to make sure that they are keeping in touch with those individuals and making sure that they're keeping well and everything's going okay which is why on emma's point earlier about make, having that relationship with hr and as I see HR work really closely together and just just having those kind of guidelines and tools in place. And also things like uh, buddying systems and wellbeing buddies. I know a lot of organisations have got mental health advocates in place. Um, it'll be good to get them, uh, you know, get, give them the tools and the resources to check in on people and give them that avenue to have that conversation. And also just being aware that, like I said it before, but Having, having your leaders make it quite clear, you know, and, and, and people shadow the leader. So if your leader is, you know, uh, is, is talking quite openly about mental health and well-being and giving people permission to switch off when they need to switch off and come on when they need to come on and do the work and stuff like that, I think that is quite powerful um, rather than internal comms just sending out, you know, various guidelines and stuff. So if you can get your leader to kind of get on video or maybe do a, a blog or something to send out to colleagues specifically around mental health and well-being it can be quite a powerful message i will send um this toolkit that's the ipi health i've put together i think it'll be a really useful kit to have um, in internal comms po- uh, people's bucket
4: i would just urge people to particularly internal comms people as you say this is going to be a marathon look after your own mental health first um I've got Rachel Miller coming up on the podcast um, next week and uh, I asked her for a quote for a billboard as I often do at the end of the show and she reminded me of that um, Maya Angelou quote, nothing works unless you do. And I think that's really interesting. The more that we can look after our own mental health, think about what works for us, research the topic, try things out, share advice and guidance with others, we will be in a much better state to help others too. So, um, yeah, I, that's that would be a thought from me on this one. Yeah, and just mirroring
3: what Katie said, um, uh, reach out to others as internal communicators. You know, don't. Sometimes we have to be invincible because people look to us for so much and we, you know, we can do everything um, and we work really, really hard and we kind of go nonstop. Um, And I I just I just think it's really important for us to to stop, maybe to slow down. Um, If you're not sure of something, call out for help. I think we've got to nowadays we have far more areas or ways to reach out to people, whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn or or programs that CIPR and other places have. It's it's just important for you not to think I'm you're an island. Kind of it's just me. It's not just you. Uh, there's all of us are going through very similar things, and and just encourage you to reach out to others. Great. Yeah, um, I
2: agree, agree. I was just going to add. I think you have to set your own boundaries and I think now is more important than ever you know I think you when the line between work and home is so blurred more blurred than ever before and it already was blurred
1: Mm -hmm.
2: um I think it's you've got to really um be strict with yourself and not too hard on yourself as well. I think a lot of us within internal communicators, you know, we're sort of natural perfectionists. We, you know, we want things to be right and we want all the f- pieces to fit. And actually now is a time when w- you we have to operate slightly differently um, and be flexible with, with things and, and be comfortable with saying, you know what, maybe 70% is good enough at this point, you know. Which is, which is a tough thing to, to, to do.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point and, um, yeah, something that I, I can relate to as well, definitely. Um, we've had a flurry of questions through, so we'll go through some now. Um, well, well, OK, I feel for, the, for this person. So, any advice for someone starting a new role in a few days' time? What should they start focusing or concentrating on? I'm going to assume it's an internal... Cons- role, and I will gladly hand this advice over to the panel.
4: (laughs) I've got a little booklet that I'll try and put online after this call. I think I can, because I think it also exists as a PDF. But it's what to do in your first 100 days. And I'll be curious, before I put it online, to look at it to see if those are still things you can be doing. So my advice always is you are so lucky in the first few days and weeks and potentially months of a new role. There is no question that's stupid at that stage. And don't forget the stupid questions. The simple ones are often the hardest ones to answer. So ask away. You really have to start crawling over your organization and doing a hell of a lot of listening. It's all about listening in the early days. Where have I rocked up to and what's really going on? What, what is this organization really all about? what's its purpose? what do people think and feel about the organization? what are the blockers and the barriers to internal communications and what does success look like for this organization? So it's going to be harder to do that because you can't be physically present but I think my first um, my first task would be a list of questions and then go around the organization trying to ask those. As much as possible, different corners of the organisation from the very senior teams right to frontline colleagues fighting on the front line to keep your organisation going.
0: I I completely agree with Casey. And I do feel for you, you know, starting a brand new job in the middle of this kind of crisis is not the ideal situation that anybody wants to kind of be in. But definitely take this opportunity to kind of use this time to. You know, discover a little bit more about your organisation. Who who are they? What do they do? What what are your kind of colleagues? Um, uh, you know, what are the, your, your colleagues' feelings by looking at the engagement surveys if you do them, and looking at what the intranet um, stories are saying if you've got access to that. Don't be scared, as Katie said, to ask the questions, and don't be scared to put in those meetings with people. Um, you know, virtually, because you have to, and, you know, you're, you're going to be expected, I'm, I'm assuming, to to hit the ground running in this in this moment in time with everything that's going on. There will be, you know, and don't be disheartened if, if people do take a little bit longer to get back to you than they normally would do, because I'm assuming they'll be doing lots of, you know, virtual conferences themselves and, and doing crisis talks and everything like that. But, in the meantime while you're doing that just keep asking the questions reading the stuff on the internet i 100% advise you to read all the annual reports you know especially for the last 2 3 years if you can get access to them and use this opportunity this time that you're at home to and if you are working from home um to read the guide, guidelines and and to read all the kind of documentation that you probably wouldn't get the time if you were in a face to face environment in an office so just, just embrace it and, like he said, ask ask the stupid questions because you, you can.
1: I feel like that's probably been my uh, motto for most of my life: ask the stupid questions. Um, so it's good. <laughs> it's good to hear. It's barely be, bearing fruit at this stage. That's good. Um, next question we've had uh, through um, uh, some leaders who we might not have rated so highly before. Uh, the coronavirus hit seems to be having a good crisis. Uh, example, uh, Sainsbury's uh, Mike uh, ooh, Coop. Um, others, such as Richard Branson, may have lost stock. Um, do we as communicators need to reevaluate reevaluate how we rate our leaders and have we maybe got it wrong in the past? So I guess this is um, branching from internal to external comms, which is probably not a lot of barrier at the minute between the two.
4: I think we've been arguing for a long time that uh, there's not much of a barrier and we've got to be fairly transparent and open and consistent in our messaging. And I think we've all been banging that drum for a while. Um, Empathy, really, is the word, I think, of the moment. So those leaders that have stepped up and shown empathy for their frontline colleagues and for their customers, I think, have, have, have won in this crisis. And those that have tried to stick to policies and Um, the way things were always done or not thought through carefully, like we've had the Sports Direct guy now just this morning, apologise for trying to keep his doors open when he shouldn't have done. I think it's about taking a breath and um, really showing empathy. And it's not one of those management traits, leadership traits that you see touted in Sunday Times recruitment ads, must be a great listener, must be empathetic. But my goodness me, we might see a different form of leadership come out at the end of this crisis, which for me would be no bad thing. I think.
2: Yeah,
4: I think um, for me, I just look at the fact that um, our
3: leaders are human as well, and they are, you know, they've got they have many faults, um, and sometimes what we what we have to do as communicators, especially if we have access um, to them. Is, is to nudge them along a little bit. Sometimes they need a little kind of encouragement to to be empathetic, to understand what that means. Um, because again, I think some of them um, are so buried into kind of the business as usual. You know, let's get the business going, let's keep the profits up, and all the rest of it. That they they don't necessarily forget people, but then it's it's one of the areas that they don't necessarily get their head around well enough and sometimes it takes somebody to come alongside them to to help them with that. And I think internal communicators are so well placed to do that. We are um we have all the skills and, and the experience to kind of say the right things to them at the right time to, to to kind of encourage that empathy and that connection that they need to have and be engaging. And you know, you might find some of them are very natural at doing that. And that's great. Um, you could hold them up as examples to them, but but then again, it's just letting that person be genuine and authentic who they are, but also with that added value of being a bit empathetic and and connecting.
1: Great, thank you. Um... Sorry, Jack. I'm just going to
3: add really quickly. I
0: would... I was just going to add really quickly. If people haven't read Brene Brown's Power of Vulnerability, then I highly recommend it because it, on there in, in her That's book it. and Dare to Lead as well, there are the two books that I, you know, I, I just talks about empathy and power and, and leadership and, and how the power of vulnerability can really make a difference. And I think a lot of those leaders... Who have unfortunately thought, you know, thought best or have come out not looking great, it is something that they could, probably could have done some support with, really. But Brené Brown really mm. nails it in those couple of books, mm. and she's got um, she's got a, a webinar, not uh, sorry, and a, um, a program on Netflix. If anybody wants to watch it, it's only about sixty minutes, but she kind of clarifies that leadership and vulnerability and, and the power it can have uh, in organisations. So I highly recommend if you haven't seen or read <clears> any of her books. Check it out because it'll, it'll it'll give you a good stance of how the changes uh, of people being a bit vulnerable can make in the business.
1: Oh, that's that's perfect and leads nicely on to a question that we've had from Mark, or maybe it's more of a comment that can lead to a discussion. So um, it relates back to the points that we made earlier, or you guys made earlier, um, about leaders making flexibility okay. Um, but even more important to get them to practice it themselves. Too often, leaders think they're looking after their teams and offering flexibility and saying the right things whilst demonstrating the wrong behaviours and inadvertently putting pressure on their report- reportees to follow suits. Yeah, good point. Um,
3: I'll just take that to start with. I'll kick it off. Um, I think um, I was working on a culture programme and one of the things that um, we saw was the whole thing about remote working. They they had a massive program around that, and this is before coronavirus. Um, And and it was very much the, you know, language from leadership, you know, do it, do it, do it. But um, a couple of things came out. One was the support needed for people to truly work remotely, and that's in terms of trust um, and people trusting their teams. So some leaders, some managers found that really difficult uh, to let go. So some... In the, Some departments were like, we're all remote working. Some really had a challenge. And I think, um, it, I just think it's important to kind of, to, to again, make sure that we work with leadership to help them with that. Um, and to, to almost have that mirror up and say, look, this is what the staff are seeing, saying, in a sense, we should have the employees ears. So we need to reflect that back to them. So that they understand how it's coming across and um, how they are coming across in terms of remote working or flexibility. If you think about it, it's exactly the same problems that happen with values. So, you've got a set of values. We put them on the wall. We've got posters. We've got videos and so on. And then you've got the challenge of people actually following them. And they don't see the biggest comment I've heard Um, and experienced is, oh, but our leaders don't follow the values, and it's exactly the same situation. So, getting them to really embrace it and buy into it for themselves and sharing with them what it looks like when they don't do it um, can probably help a bit.
4: It might be that through this crisis, we finally decouple the concept of presenteeism and productivity. So we've been banging this again for a long time. We've been saying, you know, those two things are very, very different, okay? Now, a lot of people in this country now don't have childcare. And so their working day looks like an amazing juggling act. And that's really, really difficult. I think what leaders can do potentially is, I mean, one simple idea would be to change the sign-off on your emails to say, I'm sending this at an odd time. I may be sending my emails at an odd time of the day or night. I don't expect a response. You know, so I'm doing it, you're doing it. Let's all cut each other a little bit of slack. Just, as you say, Trudy, demonstrate the behaviour that you want to see. I think that's so important. It does come down to the culture of the organisation. If you've had that culture of looking over people's shoulders, of expecting them to be visible, to be productive, then you're going to find this a lot more challenging, I think. Unfortunately. Yeah, I
2: think this will be a big test of company culture um, and as to, you know, how well those values or the principles that you say you adhere to actually do work in practice. And I think um, I see some of the things. We, we launched a, a culture program last year and it actually took quite a lot of effort and input from our leadership team. And there were some things that we we felt were quite strong in terms of the expectation or what was important to the culture of the organization. And, you know, the management were very keen on us keeping things about being, you know, value creation or putting the company first or doing different things that we felt actually were quite strong messages to be sharing with employees and would they sit well with them. But actually, on reflection and particularly given what's going on now, I think actually the the leadership team were very right. And they were very kind of they, they know the organization well and they know how they want it to be. And I think you can't be all things to all men and you have to be true. If you want to remain successful, your business has to be sustainable. You have to create value in your business and you need to take people along with you. But you also need to stay true to who you are. So I think if people have got cultures that actually don't reflect how they operate, that's really going to become evident over the next few months, I think. So, you know, it's definitely going to be a test of, of culture, good and bad, I think.
1: Great, thank you. Um, I just keeping an eye on the clock. I think I've got it as uh, five minutes to go. So we maybe trying, There's a couple of questions. So this is an easy one, and I can answer this one. Uh, will a recording of this be available? Others on my team want to listen. Well, fantastic for the other people on your team. Because yes, there will be. Uh, this will be um, video will be put on uh, streamgo.co.uk/slash/remote-control. And it will also be made available uh, as a, uh, an extra episode of the Remote Control podcast, which you can subscribe to at that link as well. So um, that's good. That did my little wrap up for me at the end there. Already, oh, yeah, it's taken care of. Um, the other question. Um, so it relates back to when um, when you're talking about Teams. So this is from um, Becky. To bite-sized videos about using channels like Teams is a great idea. Is there ready-made content like this out there that uh, internal content teams could buy in order to get the content to employees quickly? Yeah, I don't know if anyone knows of any anything out there already?
2: I think Microsoft Teams actually produce those videos, so it's all readily available content, and they are exactly that nice little bite size, really helpful. Um, video. So yeah, a lot of that content is out there already as part of your package to to Office three six five.
1: Oh, that's perfect. Um just from from uh, kind of some of the work that I do actually I'd just add a couple of answers to to that one um, as well as obviously having the the bite sized video from from teams themselves if there were kind of um, some maybe company specific messages out there and you're not too and you maybe don't have a uh, in-house kind of video team well in-house literally now I suppose um, that wasn't meant as a pun um, but yes yeah, so some of the things that I've I've used for some uh, kind of uh, marketing videos that would work well would be um, Wistia Soapbox that lets you record or lets you share your screen, record it, and also you kind of have uh, your little face in, in the corner as well, so it adds a bit of um, uh, kind of personality to that. Or you can swap between having it full um, screen share or um, presenter mode, half and half. So that's a really good way to get some um, quite. Uh, kind of uh, rough and ready, it depends on kind of your comfort in front of the camera, but adds a a lot of personality to it. Uh, Vidyard is another uh, version of that as well, another company that provides something. Um, And perhaps if if you're looking to do maybe some uh, more polished, um, without a presenter videos, maybe some informational videos, there are services out there like um, Biteable, that have like a huge database of kind of video graphics. Uh, You sign up for like a monthly subscription and you can create videos quite, like really easily. Um, And that, you know, currently, when you maybe can't coordinate all your different design teams or external agencies, um, then they might be um, some good kind of (coughs) short-term measures. um, And I guess, Emma, like you said, maybe 70% is good enough for these ones, I guess. They might be within but. You know, if you're on the message, I guess then that's the main thing. Um, I'd, I said I sorry, say, Jack. I was going to say yeah,
0: that. I, I, sorry, Jack. I was just going to say I'd also recommend uh, Powtoon. P-O-W-T-P-O-W-T-O-N. Um p o w t w o n. They're a little bit more flexible. It's an animation tool like Biteable, but a little bit more flexible with how much characters you can put on a slide, because Biteable caps it at 100. So um, Powtoon just allows you to have that flexibility, and it can create a fairly decent animation within about an, two hours. It's a different way of kind of getting some messages out there. So check that out, and it's about eleven quid a month, I think.
1: Oh well, wow, perfect. That's that's really good. Started. <laughs> I'll uh, note that down for myself. And actually, when you mentioned there, and we, Katie, you've been talking about kind of um, podcasts as well. If people are recording audio, but you, you want some kind of maybe some visual element to that as well. I've used something called Headliner in the past that that um, is quite simple, that adds the, um, people are going to get cross me here, but the sound waves um, on top of a kind of a static image. So if you've got a logo or, or something, then um, you just want something a bit, maybe a bit more visual than just listening to a recording, then that's quite a good option as well. And yeah, that's really easy. Um, even I managed to do that one. Um, right, so just looking at the time, probably just squeezing this last question. Um, Do you have any advice on how to induct new starters? This process just seems very difficult if everyone is working from home. Yeah.
0: I would, um, i was just going to say that it is, obviously it's really hard, but it'll be the case of making, trying to rep, it's going to be difficult, but trying to work with your, uh, trying to replicate the induction if you can with Working collaboratively with your learning and development team, your HR team, making sure that this individual has got the meetings booked in that they need to have. I know some organizations have got some really good online training. So making sure that your, your new starters have access to this fairly, you know, easily without having to go through a convoluted process. Um, but it is, it, I know it sounds, it sounds a bit hard work, but it is about making sure that you are Trying to replicate where you can the kind of practice that you would have had if they were sat in the office, really, and and getting used to that kind of process. I don't know if anybody else has got a, a funky tool or anything, but it wouldn't be.
4: We actually had a new starter join us at the end of last week, so she's never been in the office, um, and we did try as po- as far as possible to replicate our normal induction process. So um, I did meet with her virtually. I gave it my usual kind of induction presentation. It was a bit different. It was probably a little bit more, if I'm honest, it was probably a bit more open and um, that it would normally be. Uh, coming back to that vulnerability point, we probably shared a little bit more than we normally would have done. I agree with Avita. I think it is about trying to stick to the plan. There is more opportunity, I think, as someone said before, maybe to read the guidelines, maybe to uh, read your last um, quarter's analyst presentation. Presentation to community that maybe you would skip in your first week or so um, and just plying them with all that information because they potentially have more time to read that and digest it. So I would try and stick to the plan as much as possible. And then what we've done with Meg, as I say, who joined us in this rather crazy time is then had just informal drop-ins so that her colleagues who would normally take her out for coffee are just joining on a a team's call just to have a catch-up and a chat with no particular agenda. So, she's still got that social contact as well that she would normally have um, in our buddying situation.
1: Fantastic. Right. Well, that's taken us right up to and a little bit beyond um, the hour. I'm very conscious of, uh, well, what we've just been talking about. Everyone is very busy. Um, So, I just want to thank... um, you all four on the panel and especially everyone in the audience, whether you ask a question or not, it's great to, to know that we can um, try and, and help uh, currently. Um, the recording of this, like I mentioned, will will go out. I'll send make sure that any a copy goes out to everyone who registered um, on email and I'll collate the various um, links and uh, recommendations that, um, that everyone from the panel has, has presented. Um, just want to take the time to say yeah thank you to, to everyone on the panel I think it's been really useful and we'll get back to any questions, there are a few questions left outstanding we'll, we'll get back to you on an email so yeah, so, so thank you from me